Welcome to One World, One Future, the Bite Size Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Nevison, and we highlight changemakers around the world who are making a difference in their community. Hello, everyone. Today we have with us Lisa Scarpinato. Thank you so much, Lisa, for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, Ashley. So before we hop into what Kitchen in the Streets is, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I um, moved to Arizona when I was two, so I've lived here for 50 years, so I would consider that to be almost a native. I should get credit for that. I grew up in the Glendale, Arizona area, and I um, um, am a product of public school and went to community college here, and um, I've worked in corporate America in a variety of different areas, and I've been the CEO and co-founder of Kitchen on the Street for 15 years. Wow, that's so cool. So can you tell us what Kitchen in the Streets is? Absolutely. Kitchen on the Street is a nonprofit organization that my family and I founded, uh, and it provides um, a focus of um, nutrition for food insecure children and families in our community. Awesome. So how many bags have you donated? I know that whenever I go pack food bags at the facility, we always create like hundreds, but how many have you donated? You know, that's a tough question. I'm going to have to do the math on that. Um, we generally provide about fifty-five to 60,000 bags of hope a year, and we've been doing that. It's clearly grown over the years, but I would say that number probably for the last eight years or so. So um, if your listeners can do the math on that, they can probably figure that out. I know for sure that we're at about the three and a half million mark as far as meals are concerned, uh, and each bag does have, you know, six to eight meals in it. So if you can kind of do the math on that. Awesome. Well, I don't have a calculator in front of me. So all the listeners, if you want to figure that out, pull out your calculator and do that math. But uh, whenever we go and pack food bags at the facility, you always share this amazing and such a warming story of why you started it. Would you be willing to share that with our listeners? Absolutely. Um, So in uh, 2006, my husband and daughter and I were doing some volunteering around town. And uh, we found that a lot of um, nonprofits require kids to be 16 or older to participate. And so that was a struggle for us because our daughter wasn't uh, quite 16 yet. So we started to look around and educate ourselves on the needs of the community. And, um, and again, you know, we wanted to do this because we wanted to teach our good, our daughter to be a good citizen and a good Samaritan. And so we really felt like since there weren't opportunities for us, we had to find one. Like we were really kind of called to that. So uh, we started to educate ourselves and meet with different people to see what was going on around us. And we invited some friends of ours over uh, to our house for dinner on Labor Day weekend uh, in 2006. And and during the course of our conversation, we found out some information that really changed our lives. Uh, this this husband and wife couple that came over, um, his job was he was a, a charter school principal in that neighborhood I grew up in, in Glendale. So during the course of dinner, if you can just imagine, uh, it was just like probably at your house, there's plenty of food on the table, you know, lively conversation. And it got kind of quiet. And so at one at one point I said, hey, how's your school year going? And I expected him to talk about, you know, things having to do with education, where Arizona is out in the rankings for education, how the students behave, you know, things like that. And he didn't do that. He got really quiet and he just kind of looked at his dinner plate and, and started to cry. Literally, tears started to roll down his face. 
And after a minute or so, he composed himself and he, he apologized and said, you know, I'm sorry, I just saw something in my school cafeteria that really grieved me and um, I'm still trying to figure out how to process it. He said, I was um, in the cafeteria during lunch one day talking to one of the teachers and most of the kids were finishing lunch and throwing things in the garbage and leaving. And he said, one girl wasn't doing that at all. And uh, he said, she was kind of walking further back into the cafeteria and um, the opposite way that other kids were going. And he said, so I watched her and she walked right up to a big black trash can and she reached in and she pulled out a piece of pizza that someone else had taken bites out of. He said, I could see teeth marks basically in this food that she had in her hand. And so clearly someone else thought it was kind of food trash and she thought it was food treasure because she wrapped it in a napkin and put it in her pockets. And she did that until her pockets were full. And he found out that she was from a low income family. So she had she had a brother and sister. So the three kids ate breakfast and lunch Monday through Friday at school through the federally funded breakfast and lunch program, but they didn't eat on weekends. So this young lady was in second grade and she felt that she could solve the family food problem by collecting food out of the trash and taking it home for the weekend. Wow. That's crazy. It was. It was really heartbreaking to me um, because I grew up here. I felt like this is something that if I wanted to help with, I knew other people wanted to help with, too. So it should be on the, you know, the cutting edge of our news. Like we should see it everywhere so that we can all get involved. Um, and clearly that wasn't the case in 2006. So that night after our friends left and we you know, kind of learned about this issue, my husband did some research and he said, OK, we have a hunger problem in our city. I think we need to start a nonprofit to help these kids. I think we should call it Kitchen on the Street. And I think we should start tonight. What do you think? Wow. I thought he was crazy, <laughs> clearly. Um, and, and, you know, it did kind of sound pretty far out there, but there's a need and uh, it was presented to us. And so at that point, we had an opportunity. Either we were going to do something about it, uh, kind of put our money where our mouth is, so to speak, or not. And we chose to do something. So that night, we literally started the process to form the 501c3 nonprofit, uh, picked a name and, uh, and started to educate ourselves on how to meet the needs of these kids. Wow. Congratulations on doing that. I definitely agree with you. It is really hard to find volunteer opportunities for kids under 16. Me being 14, I'm kind of in the same couple of volunteer opportunities. And although I love volunteering at those places, it's cool to try new things. But when you're too young, it's really hard. So with with that in mind, um, sorry about that. Um, with that in mind, how do you get volunteers that are younger and older volunteers to come out and help pack foods? We uh, have a newsletter that anyone can sign up for at kitchenonthestreet.org, or uh, they can follow Kitchen on the Street on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. That's how we advertise our volunteer events that are open to the public. Um, we continually try to get the word out there. We also have a junior board of directors, which is made up of junior high, high school, and college age students. And it kind of... Uh, um, runs along the same line as a school year. So every year in July or August, we advertise uh, application season. So anyone can can uh, sign up and uh, then we select who's going to be on the board. And basically we meet every couple months uh, because of COVID. We've done a lot of those meetings virtually, but uh, you go through a process uh, to establish a um a, a commercial, basically, uh, kind of a um, elevator speech for yourself and for the organization that you're representing, which in this case would be Kitchen on the Street. And then you learn some more things about food insecurity in our community. Uh, you uh, you pick a almost a mission statement for yourself and a few other kind of leadership sort of activities. But um, but in addition to that, 
we feel like young people are so creative and so passionate and they have a different view of how to address the issue of, of food insecurity in our community. So why wouldn't we want to give them the opportunity to voice those ideas, right? Mm -hmm. So this is an opportunity and a platform for that as well. Awesome. I love that. I love that you have youth that are involved in the leadership positions instead of just adults, which is really cool because it's giving more youth the opportunity to get involved in giving back. I think it's really important to catch kids at a young age and introduce them to volunteering um, because then it becomes part of who you are as opposed to having to learn it as an adult. Just like anything else, the earlier you learn something, the easier it is and the more it becomes part of um, the person that you you are and, and how you view things. I, I agree. It's it's so cool that me being at 14, I've been volunteering my whole life and just growing up doing it has really just made an impact on what I do. I love volunteering and when anyone asks me what do you like to do in your free time I like to volunteer I like to give back because you get such a great feeling and that's really why this podcast exists to help the listeners who aren't volunteering get ideas of where they can go and volunteer you know Ashley something that's uh really um I've noticed about you in the times that we've met, you're a very positive person. And I think that a lot of times um, we can get very caught up in in who we are and our own struggles or our own issues. And I'm not saying we don't all have them. We do. But when we step out and we um, take the focus off ourselves and onto whomever it is that we're helping through that mission of a nonprofit or um, in your case, a podcast, um, it allows us to get some perspective and to realize that um, while, while we do have have challenges to face other people maybe have tougher ones or they don't have the resources or the opportunity to change them so if we can go in and do that for someone else again it helps us keep a positive attitude so I just want to commend you I think you've you're just a really positive person you're fun to be around and um and I appreciate you in the community thank you so much and thank you for creating an amazing nonprofit, Kitchen on the Streets. Um, all the listeners out there, if you have not volunteered with them, 100% recommend go doing it. It's so fun. They play the best music. We have so much fun packing bags. Um, when I'm always there, I'm always there with my friends. So we kind of compete to see who can pack more bags the fastest. My record is three at a time. It's really hard, but I have packed three at one time. Um, Oh, do you pack any food bags or do you kind of just watch and manage what's happening? You know, um, I mentioned that um, that we want to impact people, uh, especially young people, for the positive in their volunteer experience. So um, I feel like we need every single person who comes to Kitchen on the Street to feel like they played a vital role in the activity that was going on that day. So if we're short people and we don't have like our entire number that we need for a group, then I will jump in and do things and our other leadership will too. But if we have enough people, we just kind of show the volunteers how to do it and then sort of let them run with it. Because again, they're there to be impacted and to be impactful. And if we're doing the work, um, as far as representatives from Kitchen on the Street are concerned, then we're taking that opportunity from someone else. And I feel like that's really important to make sure that everybody who comes feels like they did something that day and that their time is valuable. And we re we um, respect that. I agree. That's so cool that you kind of help other volunteers have that like, I've, I did this feeling. That's so awesome. So uh, you said that there's a specific number of people that you need to have a group. What is that number? Um, minimum of 25 people, maximum of about 35 people and kids ages 10 and up can come to kitchen on the street. Again, we, you know, 
part of founding this organization was uh, because we couldn't find opportunities for our daughter who wasn't quite 16. So I feel like that age range of like 10 to 16 is ideal for uh, for kids to come. Um, certainly we welcome them older than that, but, but that's a prime time for us to uh, help them understand that they have the power to change their community, even though maybe they don't have a lot of money in their pocket or, you know, something like that. Time and uh, talent and effort are certainly important for all nonprofits. I agree. So how many volunteers approximately, take a guess, because I know there's probably a lot, but how many volunteers have helped out? Oh, gosh, we have um, anywhere from three to five thousand a year come through. So it's it's been a significant number over the 15 year um, period. If we just roughly said three thousand a year for 15 years, isn't that like forty five thousand people? Yeah, so, something, yeah. Like that. something like that. Wow. That's yeah. so cool. Congratulations on getting that many people. I That's amazing. That number is so big. And I know it's growing even more by the day. Um, so if volunteers out there want to donate food, can they do that or can they only help pack? No, uh, we take food donations. Uh, we generally accept those anywhere uh, from August through uh, middle of May because our programs are um, Bags of Hope, which are the food backpacks you've been talking about. And then also our family food pantries. Those are open um, during school or those ro- programs run during the school year. So we try not to keep a lot of food in our warehouse during the summer because clearly it's warm in there. Uh, and then uh, also we wanted to get, you know, if we're given something, we want to get it into the hands of the people who need it right away. So anyone uh, is welcome to um, host a food drive for us or, you know, donate in any way. They can reach me at info at kitchenonthestreet.org at an email address, or they can just visit kitchenonthestreet.org and um, email us that way as well. Or they can reach out to us over Facebook too. Awesome. I will make sure to have her website linked down in the bio of this uh, podcast as well with her bio about herself and Kitchen on the Street. Um, you said something that there is only 25 to 35 approximately volunteers that can be at each session. Do you have to sign up to be at that event or can you kind of just show up? You know, we don't have events that are uh, open to the public as far as walk-in is concerned um, because we don't necessarily have an event every single Saturday at, you know, a certain time. So basically, if someone wants to bring a group of 25 to 35, they can communicate with us and we'll we'll set that uh, private packing up for them. We even have an online registration page that we can customize for them to help them uh, in, you know, in, uh, sorry, uh, advertise the event and it helps us manage how many volunteers are coming. And then if they are an individual, maybe, you know, a group of three or four, then they can again sign up for our newsletter on our website or follow us on social media because there are times that we just have an event that is not a private event. It's open to the public and we would love to have them come along. And so there will be a registration through that advertisement that tells them how to how to register and come to the event. That's so cool that you can kind of personalize a um, registration form for people who are hosting an event. Um, That's really awesome. We try. We aim to please. Well, you're doing an amazing job. And every time I go, it's so much fun and so easy to just show up and pack bags. Speaking of bags, do you know what goes in the bags? There's a lot of food, but what is in the bags most of the time? Absolutely. Uh, so a few years ago, uh, we uh, we polled the folks that we've been um, serving and we realized that um, there's usually a family member that's older than the child we're serving that can prepare food. So we changed the contents of our bag 
because it's really important for kids to eat uh, with their family members. And so when a child dines with their family, uh, their vocabulary increases, their grade point averages increase, and their substance abuse rates decrease. So we include in each bag one meal for the entire family. So that's either pasta and a, a pasta sauce, or it's a, a, a beans and rice, which is a complete protein. And then in addition to that, we generally have another pasta, like a canned sort of item, maybe spaghetti, lasagna, something like that. Um, we have a chicken strips and veggies over rice item, and then applesauce or pudding, uh, whole wheat pretzels, sunflower kernels, uh, a healthy fruit and veggie snack kind of thing, and then um, either instant oatmeal or uh, fruit and vegetable bar, or fruit, fruit bars or cereal bars kind of thing. We try to be healthy. We feel like we're really providing the proper nutrition for a child's body and brain to be fueled so they can be an academic success, and that doesn't really happen off a lot of uh, sugar and empty calories. So we try to focus focus on as healthy food as possible, knowing that they are children and they do have to want to eat it yeah. in order to yeah. make it work. <laughs> yeah. So I like to also get the audience involved in every episode and I post the day before who I'm interviewing and then they, I ask them if they have any questions that they would like me to ask you or the person I'm interviewing. You got a lot of questions. You've actually set a new record. So you've got more questions than anyone ever has. So I'm, a, I'm competitive, so I love that. That's awesome. And that actually, if you're competitive, we have another part of the podcast a little bit later on, which is a little friendly, fun competition that I like to do in every episode, which I'll explain a little bit more later. But the questions that you haven't answered yet, you have answered most of them already. But the ones you haven't answered are, what is your biggest success story? Oh, goodness. Our biggest success story. Um We've had people find jobs and change their entire life as a result of, of the Kitchen on the Street program, uh, Bags of Hope specifically. Um, we get notes from kids that um, have received a bag. And my very favorite one, it's if you can just imagine a white piece of paper with a yellow mark. I mean, a, a red marker. A, a student wrote a note to us in a red marker and it says, hello, my name is Ulysses. I want to thank you guys. Kitchen on the Street for all the amazing work and food you provide for us. You've made my life a better one. And then he put a little smiley face at the end. And that, uh, that note is uh, hanging here at my desk. And I look at it all day, every day while I'm here working. And it just motivates me to uh, go the extra mile to make sure that if it's funding I'm applying for, or if it's volunteers I'm trying to find, or, you know, uh, communicate with people, whatever it is, I'm doing my best because I'm changing someone's life. And he, you know, Ulysses note just reminds me of that. That's so cool. I love that story. Um, another fun thing that, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, you know, I have one more thing. I don't. I haven't mentioned yet that um, we did some comparisons of reading and math scores uh, from before a child receives a bag of hope on a weekend and then after. And we see that their reading scores increased by 12% and their math scores increased by 26%. So I think that's a huge achievement as far as academics are concerned, because again, it proves the point that uh, you can't, if you have the proper nutrition, you can perform in the classroom academically. And that's really one of the ways that a lot of these kids can um, move out of the food insecurity issue and into success. That's so cool. So 
another thing Kitchen in the Streets does that I honestly really love is at the end of the packing sessions, they give you this note and there's different notes on each paper, but the notes that they give you are from students, like the one she just read a little bit earlier. And they're so amazing to read. I've gone three different ones and they definitely, I know exactly where they are and they're so motivational because it shows that no matter if you don't want to go and volunteer, always go to do, go out, go the extra mile to push yourself to volunteer because you're going to get a better feeling out of it if you don't do anything and you're going to make the world a better place anyways. So all of everyone listening, go volunteers, what I'm trying to say. I 100% recommend it. I love doing it. I bet Lisa loves doing it. And everyone I've had on this podcast probably loves volunteering. The next question the audience asks is, how many pounds of food do you provide annually? Oh my gosh, pounds. Um, I I would have to do the math on that. And I actually did just weigh the um, bag recently. So I would say... Um, in our Bags of Hope program, we provide about 80,000 pounds a year uh, of food through that program. And if you can just imagine that kids are taking that home from school, they pick it up at school and carry it home to eat the contents on the weekend. And 85% of the 2,000 kids we serve each week are less than 10 years old. So you can't really have like a lot of heavy stuff, right? Um, or anything breakable. So I would say probably about 80,000 pounds through the Bags of Hope program. I would say we probably um, distribute, oh gosh, another 50,000 pounds through our family food pantries because that's more heavy, like canned food, you know, boxed items, things like that. Uh, and then we also have a, a food rescue program and that's basically picking up food that has a short shelf life. Sometimes it's fresh food that, you know, it's like a produce item that doesn't, you know, won't last long. Um, or it's even canned and boxed items that, that do have a date on them. And we, uh, we pick those up and, that allows them to not be thrown in our landfill, and then we get them to the people who need it. I'm not sure if you and your listeners know, but uh, 40% of the food that we grow and produce in this country goes in the landfill. Oh, wow. Food is the largest source of waste in our landfills. So if we have food going in, a, in, our, in our dumps and our landfills and we have hungry people, I don't think we have a food problem. I think we have maybe have a transportation or a logistics kind of problem because there is food. It's getting thrown away, and there are hungry people that could be eating it. So that's what our food rescue program does. That's so cool. And the last question the audience asked you haven't answered yet is how are your bags distributed? Our bags are distributed through our partner schools. We have about 30 different schools that have partnered with us. If a school is in need of our program, they can visit kitchenonthestreet.org and use the schools tab because there's an application there. Uh, and so basically, if you can imagine, uh, Ashley, you come to Kitchen on the Street, you help pack the bags, they go in the box, the school districts come and pick up from us or we deliver to them. And then each Friday, uh, the facilitator of the program, usually that's like the nurse in the school um, or a teacher, they hand out the bags to the kids. They, the schools identify the kids for us and that uh, they first and foremost use the uh, federally funded breakfast and lunch uh, program list. And then on top of that, kids that uh, come into school on Monday and show signs of not having eaten over the weekend, that's who gets put on our list. And so basically on Friday afternoon, the student picks that food up, it gets put in their backpack, backpack gets zipped so no one knows there's no peer pressure the child takes it home eats the contents and comes back to school ready to learn on monday 
That's so cool. I love all the work that you're doing. It's definitely making a huge impact in younger kids and everyone all over the world. Now, my favorite part of the podcast. So this is the competition, the fun part. So I like to have everyone I'm interviewing take part in the speed round. I give you 30 seconds, and I have a list of 30 questions. So far, the record is 12. If you can beat 12 questions, you get bragging rights. I'm getting my 30 seconds on the timer. I just said it. And when you're ready, I'm going to start asking you as many questions as we can possibly fit in those 30 seconds. And since you are a competitive person, what number do you think you're going to get? 20. 20? Okay. I think think you can do it. Okay, let's go. I'm ready. Anytime. As long as you beat 12, you, you beat the record. So... Okay. That's all you have to do. Starting in three, two, one. Favorite color? Blue. Favorite animal? Chicken. Favorite sports team? Cardinals. Favorite food? Spaghetti. Favorite vacation place? Beach. Favorite memory of 2020? No masks. Favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. Favorite word? Happy. Favorite movie? You've got mail. Favorite book? Chasing Francis. When you were in school, what was your favorite subject? Oh, reading. Favorite emoji that you've used? Smiley face. That's 12 on the dot in 30 seconds. You tied for first Woo! place. Darn. You still get bragging rights. You still tied. It's first place. All right. All right. I'll take that. First place is first place. That's what I say. <laughs> Thank you. That was fun. I'm glad I was able to have you participate and make the record of 12 even harder. A lot of people get stuck on 11, shockingly. I, I always get stuck on like 8, so you're better Funny. than I did. It's fun. It's hard. It's hard to think of things fast enough. I hope nobody holds me to any of those answers because I might have lied. <laughs> for speed, of course. Only for speed. Yeah. I mean, I would do the same. Just whatever word comes to mind fastest. Right. So that kind of wraps up the podcast. And the very last question I have for you is, is there anything else you'd like to tell us? Just uh, encourage your listeners to get involved in the community in any way that they can and, and as much variety as possible, because I think we all have something that we're passionate about that will impact somebody else's life. It's just a matter of finding that. And if you can find that at a young age, um, you have your whole life to increase that impact and invite others to do the same. I love that answer. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for being a change maker and being on my podcast. I know I've said it earlier, but just repeating myself, any of the listeners, if you are located in Arizona and you have not packed food with Kitchen on the Street, I 100% recommend doing it. Um, Like she said earlier, there is a form on her website that you can go sign up to host the packing party at her facility. And I 100% recommend you doing it. It's incredible and such an amazing experience. Well, I hope to see you again soon, Miss Ashley. I can't wait to pack more food with you sometime. Great. Alrighty. Well, I hope everyone is staying safe and is staying healthy and it has an amazing rest of their day. Once again, I'm your host, Ashley Nevson, on One World, One Future, the Bite Size Podcast. And thank you for listening to today's episode. Be sure to follow us on Instagram to know what's happening next.